This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. All right, here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to EMS 20. Trying to snipe my shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I it, it, these are weird shoes to wear. Mm-hmm. There's big, there's awkward gaps in it. I don't know why. It's like my feet <laughs> don't fit in all the way. It's, it's weird. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm opening the story. Is that what you're trying to say? I, you can't quite fill them? It's like you're wearing your dad's shoes, you know? Right. Just, <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, I get it. Marching around. Yeah. No problem, son. Um, <laughs> thanks dad uh no i stole the opening because i need to i need to give everyone a heads up my apologies to the crews who listen to episodes and then run calls that seem to be you know seem to resemble the <laughs> yeah. episodes because uh yeah maybe this is the episode you turn off um so that you don't you avoid that curse because uh mm, boy you don't want this call and i don't want this call mm. and speaking of not wanting this call chris you're happily in the hot yeah. seat today how are you how are you doing? <laughs> well, you okay? I, 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 I was good until you uh, until you until you said this. So here we are. And yeah, I do feel bad because we actually get that a lot. We get people being like, hey, I listened to your podcast where this horrible thing happened and the crew was fucked. And then we ran that call. So thanks, Dick. Thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for putting that out there and uh, putting put it out there to the uh, the call gods, uh, you know, bag of tricks to throw on people. And there, there it is. And they they got to do it. So, yeah, um, I am excited. Really quick, though, before we get too far into this, uh, GuardianCME.com. Head on over there. That is going to be a free continuing education platform uh, put on by our amazing friends over at Guardian Test Prep. And it is a place where you're going to be able to go to get free continuing education just for listening to EMS 2020. So head on over there now, put your email down, and we'll let you know as soon as it launches. Uh, we don't have a specific launch date yet, but the behind the scene things are really gearing up. And so I'm hoping that we can share some great news with you guys soon. So uh, yeah, with that, guardiancme.com, drop your email. We won't spam you. We'll just let you know when it's time to uh, come on over and get free continuing education just for listening to us. So yeah, there you go. Also, uh, please follow us on social media. We are on EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook, EMS 2020 show on Instagram and EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. Each and every show gets its own social media post. So you can hop on there and tell us what you thought of the show. Also, a lot of you guys noticed on our social media that I recently put an Instagram story uh, where someone had a sticker and you guys kind of went nuts asking where to get stickers. And we kind of knew that was going to happen. Like we knew people were going to ask. I didn't think as many. Many people uh, would have asked, but a lot of you guys asked. And so we said, you know what? Screw it. We're going to do an EMS 2020 merch store. So if you love listening to EMS 2020, head on over to our social media, like I just mentioned, and you will find links to our T-Republic store where you can find EMS 2020 t-shirts, EMS 2020 hoodies, mugs, stickers. Uh, there's lots of stuff there. Go check it out. And uh, yeah, buy our merch. Merch actually really helps support the show. There's nothing that's going to get in the way from us like keeping this free for you guys. Um, so with that, every little bit helps and buying the merch is a great 
great way to support us and uh, look stylish at the same time. So yeah, uh, yeah. And if you want your call featured uh, on EMS 2020, that's where you follow the email address. EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com is where you can send your call uh, submissions. Please do, by the way, because, uh, hey, you know, we have a lot sitting in our inbox, but I always like more. And yeah. so, you know, by all means, send us your calls. We like to have a puffy mattress of calls to lay on. And, uh, you know, and right now it's still pretty puffy, but, you know, we want to go for that pillow top. So. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the call then. Uh, today's story comes from a <clears throat> strong start. Yeah. Nailing it. <laughs> Woo. All right. Today's story comes to us from Avocado Toast Paramedic. <laughs> well, actually, hold on. Um, so they weren't really a paramedic at the time of this call. So uh, you know what? I, here's what I'm going to do. Today's story comes to us from Avocado Bread. Oh, gross. Hey. <laughs> A paramedic intern in their third shift. I just imagine right. like a slice of like, you know, white Wonder Bread and uh, someone just trying to smash avocado and smearing it on there and it's just tearing the bread up. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Like unless your avocado is substantially ripe, it would be like trying to spread the peanut butter from hell where all you just get is you just get a, a, a mash of bread and whatever you're trying to smear on it in between a ring of crust. Oh, yeah. No, it's like the. I grew up in a household where, uh, for some reason, the peanut butter needed to be like in the fridge. I don't why? know why. I know. And That's then, yeah, weird. you're like, you know, I'd like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but you'd have to essentially like cook your bread so that it had the, the, the foundation, the right? structural foundational strength to support any peanut butter you put on the thing. Which makes anyway. it. The perfect analogy in the sense that, yeah, you uh, you take that bread, you cook it a little bit and it gets a better foundation and more structural strength to run more calls. So, you know what? Bravo, man. I, uh, I take oh, a sip of my uh, coffee out of my favorite mug in your honor. Oh, excellent. All right. Well, let's talk about the system that uh, <laughs> avocado bread is working in. So they were doing their internship with a hospital based EMS service in a rural area. Uh, they run 24 hour shifts out of two stations, one of which is just down the street from the local hospital. That hospital, by the way, is a level three trauma facility. And about 30 minutes away from that, there are two level two facilities. And then an hour away is a level one trauma facility. Um, there are typically two ambulances on duty, sometimes even three. And while they typically work medic slash EMT, there are medic medic shifts like the shift for today's call. Um, the fire department, by the way, who also additionally responds with the ambulance crews, they are mostly e EMT uh, slash EMR with an occasional paramedic and avocado toast, excuse me, avocado bread, uh, soon to be toast, says uh, they're all awesome. They were all wonderful people to work with, very nice. engaged and involved. So good deal. Um, yeah. Avocado bread is being preceptored by Cheerios. Cheerios has been a medic for over a decade, does have some military medic experience in there as well. And uh, Avocado Bread basically just was said, like, these guys are like this guy was amazing, uh, very calm, good natured, willing to give space to interns. Uh, well, sure. Well, like making sure that things actually did still get done. That is the um, best. Yeah. Like just I don't want to derail too much, but that like I get all the warm feelings like hearing about like this kind of partner right there, because that is the way you FTO. 
you know, you don't want you don't want to mama bird it. You don't need to, you know, regurgitate the food and dump it in their mouths. But, uh, you know, you do got to guide them to, to some extent. You can't just be like, hey, go out there and fail and good luck not failing. You know, so like, yeah. there, there's that. So, no, this is awesome. I'm, I'm really yeah. glad to hear this. I have nothing but positive thoughts about this call. I'm sure it's going to go just fine. And that's why it's on this show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about the other medic. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. The other med- medic is actually a fill-in regular partner, and they okay. are—they actually are an F, like a FTO for this service. So they train the paramedics and EMTs that come work in this. Oh service. wow! Um, uh, they were described as awesome as well. The, their name is Oatmeal. Um, hmm. You know what? Oatmeal seems weak now. Uh, raisin. Ooh, ooh. Salmon raisin bisque oatmeal. No, Jesus the- Christ. Yeah, that's our numbers are down in France. And this is why (laughs) you're taking like Uh, classic French dish dishes and ruining them, namely one. And that's best. Just Americanizing them. That's that's what I'm doing. No, you're not. No, you're not. In what 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 part of America are you going to find salmon, which again, like a bisque is made out of like the juices of a shellfish. But anyway, salmon yeah. raisin, who's going to put raisins in it, bisque with oatmeal. What? Yeah. Uh, actually, you know what? I wouldn't put it past the Midwest. And I'm sorry if you're in the Midwest, but I've been in the Midwest many times and you guys uh, like um, like Ludafisk. And so this is not this is not past. OK. You. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, it'd probably have mayo if it were in the Midwest. Boom. Shots fired. Yeah, yeah there you go. All right. Actually, <laughs> confession. I like Ludafisk. So, hey there, nice. don't you know? Okay. Anyway. Okay. So, I, I will give you that salmon raisin bisque oatmeal is, uh, one, it's a mouthful. Two, it's too far. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to just, we'll just keep it as raisin oatmeal. All right. Um, real quick, other things. Uh, they have, this is a service that does have the ability to uh, rapidly sequence induct rsi okay they can innovate uh, people paralyze and, and, and sedation Boom. copy yeah. yeah and uh it has surgical cranks so let's nice. get into it all right so our story starts at exactly 9 a.m and chris like right on the second no right at the sub second like, oh yeah hold on Hold on. This is where this is how exact this time is. You you know, when Robin Hood like shoots that first bullseye arrow and then like the next round, he shoots the like the arrow that's even more like more bullseye year. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And it splits the arrow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the time it is right now. Like this isn't atomic time. This is subatomic time shit. That's how exact this time is. Chris. 9 a.m. On the dot. All Perfect. Right. So it's 9 a.m. Avocado bread, uh, Cheerios, and raisin oatmeal are in the back of their ambulance checking it out and like discuss just kind of going through like the equipment that they have. They started their shift a couple hours ago at seven o'clock. And it's at this time at nine o'clock on the dot. They are dispatched out to a nearby residence for a 44 year old female with facial swelling. Further details in route. The caller is the patient's daughter and the patient is having difficulty breathing with the swelling. So, Chris, what are your thoughts with this report? Well, so facial swelling kind of. It scares me because it's one of those things where like it's going to be nothing and it's going to be fine. They're like, look, are my cheeks puffy? You're like, yeah, let's go. Um, Or or it can be really, really bad. So when it comes to facial swelling, I kind of worry about two things. One is going to be an allergic reaction. 
uh, which I think is kind of at the top of the list there, uh, or angioedema from lisinopril use. Angioedema can cause a lot of facial uh, swelling as well as like tongue swelling. Uh, so regardless, you know, we talk about this on this show quite a bit in the sense that uh, when you get in, one of our jobs is you want to find out like what is the most dangerous thing we need to get in front of instead of trying to find the easiest thing it could be and hoping for that, you know. So yeah. regardless, when it comes to this patient, facial swelling, it could be nothing. It could also be a big thing. So I'm going to be big on airway status uh, when I get in. Of course, we do a complete head to toe assessment, but uh, airway is one of the things I will need to check off uh, my box of things that are OK before I really start uh, proceeding. Yeah. It makes sense because uh, avocado bread also kind of with you in that, like they immediately jump to anaphylaxis, uh, which uh, you know, a reasonable thought. And so uh, avocado bread starts kind of mentally like reviewing the protocol. It doesn't take but a few minutes for the crew to arrive on scene. <laughs> so now so we went from subatomic time and now we've got this shit. Now we're now we're uh, a few minutes. We're just degrading the. the uh... I mean. I guess my question to you, Chris, is like, do we really need that level of detail? It seems, a, <laughs> seems a little coming from you. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I. You know what, Spence? You're right. We don't need that level of detail. I'm just going based on history and uh, the fact that not needing that level of detail has never stopped that level of detail from coming out before. But you know what? You do you, boo. You want to do a few minutes? You want to give me this slop? Feed me this crap? That's fine. All right. Well, slop it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This, so this episode arrived. is clearly going to be the record setting for low downloads. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's important to me that I hold both positions. That's, That's all I'll true. Say. All right. There you go. <laughs> I can I'm, take I'm that wonder, places. I'm the wonder bread that is housing the peanut butter. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Whatever. So they arrived to a neatly kept single story residence with the fire department already on scene. Cheerios tells Avocado Bread, get in there, nice. encouraging Avocado Bread to get in and take the lead. Uh, the preceptors follow behind with stretchers and equipment. So Avocado <clears throat> enters the scene and finds a mid-40s female, about five feet, uh, five inches, about 200 pounds, so uh, 91 kilograms, uh, sitting in a wheelchair with a non-rebreather on her face. And I want to say this, the way the room is set up, only one portion of the patient's face is visible, and Avocado isn't certain if they can appreciate any swelling uh, from their view. Okay. One of the... One of the fire EMT EGGs uh, sees the ambulance crew and gives report. What is an EGG? It's an egg. What? <laughs> Why did we spell it? Because there's a lot of eggs and I don't want. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I thought EMT EGG. Let's just throw there it out go. there. That's, that's the certification. It. So this is a firefighter Let's... who's a certified egg. <laughs> it's an additional certification you have to get. Gotcha. Perfect. Yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard process. Yeah, but Real, you know, <laughs> a lot of people boil over, burn yeah. out. Some people crack and don't make it. That's true. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. So they see the ambulance and give report announcing that their basket arrived just a few moments ago and that the patient was reporting difficulty breathing. So they got out a non-rebreather mask, put the patient on high flow O2. Well, one of the eggs worked on coaching the patient. They tell Avocado that they've established that the patient has no known allergies and that the swelling uh, started a week ago. And that's really where they're at. So Avocado Bread acknowledges the, re the report and they step towards the patient. And in doing so, step into the role of PIC. And by doing that, step into that open slot 
of the even higher metaphoric toaster. Okay. Yeah. But this is this one of those calls where that toaster is set to that like, hey, why is this even a setting on a toaster? Because I think the heat is actually like less than room air. <laughs> uh, or this setting, or is it the setting where it's like this setting cooks bread by opening a portal to hell for about five minutes? Yeah, where you're like, hey, is this, like, who put the barbecue's charcoal in the toaster? Oh, wait. Oh, oops. Yeah. So which will this call be? I don't know. I think the toaster is a bad analogy because there's already like avocado on the bread. And so most toasters are vertically slit. So what about like the avocado that like, how are you going to, you have to smash Uh, bread with avocado on it. It's a toaster yeah, oven. Just, Let's just say it's a toaster oven because you can yeah, put that you know in there. It's still going to cook okay. the avocado. It's still going to be weird. Don't get me wrong. But we all go into EMS normal and come out a little weird. So, yeah, that's I, a big knows? analogy. Maybe, uh, maybe cooked avocado is uh, toasted avocado is uh, better. I, yeah, I don't know. No. Okay. Uh, you know what? I, know I want it. listeners to try this and let us know how it goes. <laughs> Throw your. All right. So you're going to take some avocado, <laughs> destroy your fucking white wonder bread. Yep. Smear it on <laughs> and there. Then, uh, yeah. Just rip through it and then throw all that in a toaster oven or excuse me, a vertical slit toaster and uh, don't sue us for the fires that follow. Yeah, All right. if, it, if it creates a fire, that's your risk. <laughs> and now that avocado is facing the uh, patient to introduce themselves, they do see like the side of the patient's jaw that they could see before. They actually now appreciate that. Oh, yeah. No, actually, it's very swollen compared to the other like the other side. Mm-hmm. Um And so avocado bread introduces themselves and starts their assessment. And by the way, this is kind of a typical thing. Like I'll look at a patient, especially patients who have um, more tissue. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to appreciate swelling because, you know, it's like, oh, is that just kind of like where they carry weight? Some people have that. Yeah. And so, yeah, when like when you compare it to the other side, then it's like, oh, that's definitely weird. Yeah. Knees are the same way for me. I'm like, oh, no, it looks like a squishy knee. And then I see their other knee and I'm like, oh, that's That's that is far less squishy. That is a different knee. Got it. Well, let's get into their assessment. For level of consciousness, the patient is alert and oriented, but appears very, very anxious. Uh, the patient's airway is patent in that she's able to breathe, move air and phonate. Uh, the patient's breathing though, is described as fast and shallow when not being coached. Lung sounds are oscillated by the way, and are completely clear. And the patient does have a strong radio pulse at about 110 beats per minute. Really quick, everybody, uh, to phonate means to be able to speak. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Thank you for phonating that. No, Uh, no no worries. I like to phonate my feelings. Yeah. Uh, Avocado B quickly realized, uh, like reviews the details that the fire department has collected. Okay. So no allergies and then ask the patient. All right. So what's going on today? But the patient is actually a little hard to understand because the patient's tongue feels weird. And they why is avocado B feeling the patient's tongue? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry. The the patient says that their tongue feels weird. (laughs) <laughs> this, this, this touch is the, it. yeah this is the tongue touch test <laughs> mm, feels strange turn to your partner let me touch your tongue really quick let me let me compare use the same finger of course you don't want to you know mess up multiple yeah, fingers you know you got to use it and you got to do this ungloved oh of course well yeah how are you gonna feel important. how yeah. are you gonna feel a tongue through a glove exactly you can't yeah. uh, you know why they call it a tongue depressor why 
Because it's depressing that it's it's not your finger. <laughs> oh my god! All right, got to right. push through this. Boom! All right, so <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, the patient has what they what just really sounds like a thick tongue. They're having trouble speaking, um, and the patient becomes very anxious as she tells the story. So the teenage daughter that is available on scene and it called nine one one steps in and helps like with the patient nodding alongside her. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, by the way, a pulse oximeter is placed on the patient and comes back at 98%. So okay. let's hear this story. The patient's chief complaint is shortness of breath, which they feel is related to the jaw swelling. This complication started about an hour ago this morning. And with like the patient waking up to what they described, it was a significant increase in the swelling with the added complication of like trouble breathing. And with the daughter finally calling 911 on the patient's behalf, uh, the swelling in the patient's mouth started about a week ago, seemingly out of nowhere. There was no known trauma associated with this. The patient doesn't have any allergies. They haven't started any new medications. Basically, it sounded like there was just some like light swelling that has just grown very slowly over the week until today. Uh, the patient denies any other complaints. She denies having any fevers, chills, pain. And this was really like specifically asked, like, so no pain with this. And the patient is really adamant. Just it's the shortness of breath. Um, she denies any hives, denies any itchiness. The patient reports that she had been able to eat and drink normally over this last week. Uh, they did say that they started trying like Tylenol uh, with the swelling, which didn't really seem to help. And yesterday they did go to an urgent care because the swelling just like it was starting to worry them as it wasn't really receding. Um, and basically the urgent care was like, eh, yeah, you should probably go see your like primary care physician mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just continue to take the Tylenol. And additionally, it's worth noting here, the patient is currently undergoing treatments for lung cancer. Um, we don't know what kind of treatments they are receiving, uh, only that they did undergo a treatment about three days prior. Um, and I will point out, like, this question was missed. Like, they knew that she was getting treatments, but they didn't ask specifically like what kind of treatments. So okay. like radiation, chemotherapy, immune sure. therapy. Yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, let's see here. So they had that treatment uh, and oh yes, the daughter was going to go find the patient's medications and the patient isn't a strong historian for her own medical history, like what medical conditions that they have. So like hopefully the medications will help with that. So, Chris, before I moved into the focused physical assessment, like, where are you at with this patient? What are your concerns? This is a cool call. I kind of like the, the detective work that I kind of get to do. Um, so in your face, Spencer, you thought I wouldn't like this. And I do. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> OK, we'll see. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, maybe now I don't. Um, so I'm, I'm still. So one advantage that I have is that it's on this show. So there's a lot about this call that you kind of look at. You're like, all right, so you've got some localized facial swelling. You're complaining of some difficulty breathing, but your saturations are really good. And this has been going on, you know, for like, what was it been like a week or more? You know, like, yeah, it, yeah, it's yep. been going on for a while. So on one hand, you might say like, well, the chances of something acutely changing for the worse in my time with this patient is limited. But to me, here's where that kind of changes. And that is that. There was a significant increase in swelling. Uh, I'm just kind of reading my notes like over the last hour. Yeah. Okay. So over the last hour, we went from, eh, we're fine. We're good. We're normal to there's a sudden increase in swelling and they're having difficulty breathing with that. And so uh, how old is our patient? 
Uh, mid forties, mid forties, uh, 44, 45. Okay. So, you know, uh, mid forties, like that's no spring chicken exactly, but it's certainly not old. And, you know, you still have someone that, uh, as far as their medical history is concerned, I don't see anything about any sort of breathing disorder or COPD or congestive heart failure with pulmonary edema. Correct. Well, I, I do know that I'll, I'll give this away. Cause this is probably something that would be obvious. Like she's a former smoker. Okay. Um, well, I, I'm not sure when when they quit, but uh, you know, like tobacco stained teeth uh, right. and history of lung cancer. So I I don't know what what their baseline um, is for in terms okay. of like respiratory. But what I can tell you is they have 98 percent saturations, even with some struggling to breathe. And so one of the things that I'm worried about here is even though their 98 percent saturations are good, the patient's still kind of fighting. You, you know, like we talked about this before, like everything needs context, right? Yeah. So like 98 percent saturations may seem great, but if there's a lot of respiratory effort to get there, then mm. that's still concerning. And so I'm concerned and about this respiratory effort that's being that's taken place. I'm going to add this, too, because this is 98 percent, but she is on a non rebreather at high flow. O2. OK, so we may. OK, that's. That is so we and we don't have a prior saturation to that, do we? We do not know. Okay. So all right. Well, that kind of changes the story there a little bit. Um, that that's definitely important. So here here's kind of my concerns right here is I have an increase in airway swelling over the last hour. I have 98% saturations with increased work of effort with a non-rebreather. Really, at 44 years old, if she's a former smoker, even with lung cancer, like, I mean, unless we have something, uh, some acute lung disease that I'm not aware of, that should be higher. And I'm going to openly admit, I don't know what's going on with this patient. It's not fitting any of the things that I typically look at. I, I'm yeah. a little concerned about the cancer treatments only because you kind of you brought it up. And so I'm worried about things like, you know, do we have, you know, like an abscess or something that with, you know, in an immunocompromised patient, can that suddenly swell and block an airway or something like that? Um, I've actually seen like dental abscesses get bad enough to where they, in, you know, they hinder uh, care because they just they form an abscess. Bacteria goes crazy and it becomes huge. Um, but I'm kind of at this point right here to where I don't know that it matters exactly what's causing this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. I don't have a lot of reason to believe it's an allergic reaction. I mean, I would certainly ask about allergies, uh, you know, which they did. Um, yeah. And, or, or did they? Uh, they did. No known allergies. Okay. No known allergies. Um, you know, we don't seem to have any of the other signs of like anaphylactic shock, really. So like, you know, we have a heart rate of 110, but I mean, that's not really crazy high. Uh, what was the blood pressure again? Uh, no blood pressure yet. We just no have a heart uh, with strong radial pulse okay. at 100. Well, I would be curious to see what the blood pressure is. Um, but you said like no hives, no other skin signs, correct? Yep. Okay. So, I mean, that doesn't rule out uh, allergic reaction, but, uh, you know, it, it's not really sounding exactly like it. I'll tell you this, and maybe this is because it's on this show. I am worried about losing the opportunity to get this patient in airway with this kind of acute rapid onset of swelling within the last hour. And so... Oh, it it pains me to want to say this now because I and I don't know, like it'd be understandable to not want to pull this trigger early on. I totally get it. And I'm curious what the listeners are going to think. But I'm kind of thinking that maybe this we want to get an airway now, because if we're losing our ability to breathe because of swelling, 
you you only get your one shot. You know what I mean? Like once mm-hmm. once we're swollen and we're gone. And you brought up Crikes and RSI earlier. Um, so uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I, right now like <laughs> anger biased right there. Yeah, yeah, right. But I am concerned. And that non rebreather, honestly, that really made this a whole different ball game for me. Ninety eight percent saturations on a non rebreather mask with increased effort. Ninety uh, percent saturations are great, but that's not a good story that they're working that hard with that much oxygen to get ninety eight percent and it acutely started in the last hour. So you know what? I'm actually going to say this. I think we really need to start prepping this patient to be innovated. We need to be really ready yeah. for that. I see where you're kind of going with this, where it's like, hey, I, I don't know what this is because uh, I. That's sort of where I was when I heard this story at first. I'm kind of at this point going like, hmm, okay, like maybe some angioedema with like cancer treatments. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, lisinopril is the common cause of angioedema. And angioedema, by the way, is essentially like it, it's a swelling of the tongue um, to where it uh, obstructs the airway. Uh, and it's usually tied with like medications like lisinopril uh, there there's probably other causes and that's sort of where i'm like oh i don't know what other causes could be maybe this is a like a complication of whatever cancer treatment or something like that or like you said maybe there's an infection it would be weird if she didn't have like the history of the the, the fevers but like i don't know Very maybe true. she's masking it because she's not um and especially with like no pain in her mouth um oh yeah that, that's that another really good weird point. too yeah, you'd expect um, with the dental. Yeah, if it was like a dental abscess, like pain is a <laughs> substantial factor in that. So, yeah, I, I'm sort of with you in that. Like, I'm not sure what's going on. Like, you know, maybe this is just like, hey, there is an infection or some kind of abscess that uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't hurt enough. Maybe she's more concerned about like the breathing and maybe that's causing some anxiety. But the thick tongue is is really the concerning piece. So I'm I'm with you. The thick tongue more than anything, like the fact that the patient feels right. like they're having a hard time talking um is really concerning in, in that airway regard so yeah i'm totally with you there yeah. all right so uh let's move on to the physical assessment real quick the the patient is able to open their mouth uh avocado bread appreciates the mouth of a former smoker there's a few teeth that are missing many of them are stained the tongue doesn't appear swollen uh from like their view uh, the patient's left face is very firm and like hot to the touch, but again, not tender. See, and that that sounds like an abscess or some kind of bacterial infection. But anyway, go on. Yeah, no, for <laughs> sure. Uh, and that was perf- and that uh, that, by the way, was performed by the preceptor who well, who kind of jumped in while avocado was talking and you know palpated along the patient's face. Um, avocado is really focusing in on the patient's breathing um, and believes that they might be hearing some faint strider or maybe some like light grunting noises during respirations. Okay. Um, I don't know. Cause I didn't ask if they looked for like, you know, uh, retractions or accessory muscle use. Um, but this would be a good time to look for that and to see if those things are being performed. Um, anyway, so, uh, a bread is alarmed because, like we said, this doesn't seem to be an allergic reaction. It's sort of behaving allergic reaction-ish. Yeah, especially with the swelling, yeah, the diffuse yeah. swelling in the mouth, yeah. Yeah, with the those important airway structures just sort of getting impinged upon uh, by tissue swelling. Yeah. Um, so, 
Avocado Bread does this quick math, like, I don't know what this is, maybe it's an infection, but I have a patient with facial swelling and breathing problems who already looks like a nightmare to intubate in the field. Uh, so they want to get going because they'd rather, like, not have this patient be their first tube or their, like, even their <laughs> first field crike. And yeah. uh, Cheerios and Raisin Oatmeal appear to be of the same mind. By the way, the hospital at this point, they, like, they think it's just three minutes or so down the road. So they're kind of, everyone's going like, mm, we should probably get moving. Okay. So the patient is taken from her wheelchair over to the stretcher and is able to stand uh, with some assistance to transfer, though she becomes significantly more anxious again. Um, and I do want to point out, like, the patient is coachable. And when she is being coached on her breathing, she seems to do well. But when no one is like directly coaching her on that breathing. Mm -hmm. Then she becomes very tachypnic and uh, becomes increasingly anxious. Okay. So we see a little bit of that here with the transfer. Uh, the daughter comes back and like hands the crew a like a box of pills, which are in their pill cases. And those are the mother's medications. Here they are, by the way, uh, Lasix, which is a loop diuretic. Okay. Ativan, which is a benzodiazepine good for anxiety, uh, Xeralto, which is a blood thinner, Decadron, which is a steroid, and uh, Kepra, which is an anti-seizure medication. Interesting. Okay. So, the crew does take a few moments to check that the daughter, like, will be okay because she's a, you know, teenager. Um, and the daughter assures them, like, nah, I'm fine. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I wonder no if house mom parties here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey, mom, just call before you come back. Okay. Yeah. All right. And don't it, worry, you know, if uh, neighbors yeah. call about cops, it's just not true. Yeah. Uh, ER, like four hours, roughly, right? Usually right. something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, that, I just, that, or, yeah. that or mom's a chronic patient and, and frequents the ER. So, I mean, daughter could be used to 911 visits as well. So. That's, yeah, very true. Uh, so the crew move out towards the ambulance. Uh, Avocado did see, did ask to see like, hey, let's stop the non-rebreather just to check what the room air saturation is. Um, so the non-rebreather is taken off during that move out to the ambulance. Mm -hmm. So once in the ambulance, everyone packs in and Avocado notices like several things. All right. So for instance, when the patient's breathing is coached, the saturations on room air stay above 98%. When the patient breathes on her own, saturations decrease significantly down into like the low 90s, um, like 92%. So, oh, uh, and everyone notices that the patient's swelling has now extended down into her left neck from the left jaw. Appropriate concern ensues. Uh, raisin oatmeal throws the patient on their heart monitor in the BP cuff. Avocado toast now performs her own assessment of that patient's swelling. Um, and they see that firm, hot skin isn't limiting itself to the uh, jaw and neck, but they see that the patient's lips are also starting to swell as well. Uh, the crew quickly discuss their plan, which basically is like, hey, let's leave as quickly as possible. But recognizing the dire situation unfolding and the high potential that they might have to RSI this patient, they do want access. Yes. Unfortunately, despite it being a great question asked by Avocado Bread, the patient does not have a pick line or port that could be accessed in emergency, so they will need some sort of vascular access. Um, and also, the patient doesn't have great vasculature to make that easy. But here's the clutch move. Before uh, Abred can even look, Cheerios blindly just throws a 20-gauge IV into the patient's arm and buries it to the hub, getting flash and having, like... <laughs> 
fluid be able to flow through it. So nice. uh, they, <laughs> solid work. Yeah. Um, apparently they're like, I, I don't know. It just seemed like a place where an IV, like where an IV might work and boom. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they depart lights and sirens. And here are the first set of vitals. Heart rate, 122 sinus tack on the monitor. The SpO2 is 100% with the non-rebreather connected back to the 10 liters of oxygen. Respirations with coaching are 18. Without, they go much higher, presumably into like the high 20s, low 30s. Blood pressure is 143 over 89. They do get a temperature, but it's a forehead reader and they're inaccurate. And But yeah, it comes are. back uh, as 100 degrees Fahrenheit. But they, we should... This is a like hot, humid place. Okay. Um, and there's no, there was no air conditioning inside the home. So th- that might be some, there might be some relation to yeah. that too. And te- technically uh, a, a fever is 100.4. That That's technically a fever. So technically even at 100 degrees, you're considered a febrile. Mm, mm, okay. Am mm, I wrong there? Yeah. No, pandantic, <laughs> pandantic facts. <laughs> Hashtag pandantic. It's uh, 100.4. <laughs> <pandantic. laughs> Um, all right. Uh, CBG was checked probably because the glucometer was on the bench where they could see it. Uh, that's how I do my CBG checking. Uh, and it was 134. Uh, CBG or blood glucose level um, for, for the other people who say it the wrong way. Right. Um, and if you use millimoles, it's 7.44 millimoles. So, nice. boom. Oh, uh, and little comedy because uh abred poked the patient's finger thinking that the uh person wouldn't get the iv and so they ended up getting poked twice nice so, all right uh so to give you guys an idea they were on scene from arrival to departure like from the time their wheels stopped to the time they transported a total of five minutes that's and a good scene transport, time. <laughs> yeah and the transport to the ed took just under five minutes so okay. Really, and the only thing that occurred during the radio, like during the transport, was a report on the radio, which was given early uh, while Cheerios looked through that pill container. So the report was, uh, "Hey, we are currently inbound, emergent with a 44-year-old female, respiratory distress. She has swelling on the left side of her jaw and neck that is spreading rapidly, with the presence of hard, like hot to the touch lump. Uh, Here are the vitals. We have a 20-gauge IV established in the left AC. ETA is two minutes." So, Abred says that basically for the transport, they just stayed on top of coaching the patient, and that seemed to really help. They quickly arrive at the emergency department and hear the last set of vitals from the ambulance. Heart rate, 125. Blood pressure, 140 over 90. SpO2, 100%. Now, we go into the emergency department, because the call doesn't end here. Okay. So, the first thing Avocado notices is that everyone in the emergency department is prepared. Good. Like, they... They even did that thing where, like, they took two small rooms and just, like, turned it into one giant recess room. They have laboratory, x-ray, they've got extra nurses, they've got RT, and they have the doctor all waiting. And by the way, it's the best doctor there, Dr. Bacon. Uh, (laughs) Goes well with avocado. Yeah, true. Uh, Avocado describes using their best, like, paramedic voice as they give report, and they said that Dr. Bacon listened intently to all the details, occasionally asking for more information like, okay, has she had any recent dental work done? Yes! Which... Sorry. Which the crew... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which the crew didn't ask, so they didn't know about. Um, And by the way, the answer was no. Uh, Avocado uh, talks about the swelling being on the patient's left side, and then everyone in the room kind of does a double take, because now... It's the entire face and neck. 
Oh, yeah. And by the way, the patient without someone to coach her is back to that, like, really panicked breathing. Yeah. So, hey, really doctor, quick. Oh, yeah. Go on. Um, I, I definitely want to applaud everyone being ready. Did they go lights and sirens onto this call or from uh, from seeing to here? Yes. They did? Yep, they want lights and sirens. Okay, yep. perfect. Now, I, I'm just going to point out really quick, Spence and I have talked about lights and sirens and how, in many cases, it's useless. But there is one use that it really has, and that is letting people know you're serious. Uh, it doesn't save a lot of time. I mean, especially in this call where it sounds like they weren't that far away anyway. Um, yeah. but, uh, unfortunately the way a lot of systems are designed, uh, code three is more to advise the receiving facility that the patient's bad, not to yeah. actually get there <laughs> in any clinically relevant amount of time quicker than it's, you would. Yeah. It's the equivalent of that NRT like question where it's like, do you think they're sick or not sick? That's that's really what yeah, it is. That's, exactly. that's the sick, not sick question. Someone's coming in. Uh, code one, code yeah. three. But hey, code in this one, case, it did, uh, it, it, I mean, it did its job. I mean, everybody was ready. Big. Uh, uh, go ahead. Let's hear more about Dr. Bacon. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Dr. Bacon, with this finding, tells the charge nurse, charge nurse hash browns to go get surgery down <laughs> here now. <laughs> Meanwhile, he talks about setting up for a ketamine only facilitated intubation. Hash Brown come back and says, like, hey, Dr. Grapefruit from surgery says it's going to be a while. Oh, so snap. <laughs> That's not what you want to hear. No, especially not in that tone, which no. I am adding on my own because that's it's my story now right so here we go yeah. exactly and it's gonna be a while i'm sorry i'm doing doctor things up here yeah gonna doctor my doctoring doctor stuff yeah uh i don't know if you know this but i'm a surgeon right Boom. all right so probably Dr. Bacon, YouTube innovation just like uh <laughs> <laughs> our last doctor from our last episode right anyway probably all right so <laughs> dr bacon <laughs> I didn't use if well, that guy had to get transferred somewhere. Anyway, right. <laughs> all right. Boom. So Dr. Bacon pulls the trigger on the intubation because, well, we can't wait. They try and palpate and like mark their crike landmarks on uh, on the patient's neck with a pen. The ambulance crew stays and participates. They jump in and explain to the patient like what's going to be happening and how like how they're going to help. Um, well, RT coaches the patient's breathing. The patient does thank them. Um, other breakfast nurses set up equipment, nurse tater tots, hands a vial of ketamine <laughs> to avocado and tells them to drop medication. A second IV site is attempted by someone, but it fails. Uh, but here, and here's the thing. Vitals are reported to be good. The SPO2 isn't like 100%, but it's above 90 and they decide like it's time. Ketamine is pushed. The patient becomes disassociated, but still breathing. Uh, Dr. Bacon at her head uses a glide scope, uh, and avocado watches behind, like with their partner. And avocado bread is like, I, I, she's like, I wish I had this on camera because there are like, there's no landmarks. It's just a red mess. There's no familiar structures. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's a Picasso picture of a red, angry, of just red, angry, swollen oh. mouth tissue. Jeez. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Bacon is the, like trying different angles. They're turning the patient's head. They're like, they're trying all these things to get a view. And there's just nothing until there's a little red shrimp like structure that they can see wiggling around. Uh, and that ends up being the epiglottis. Damn, I was going to hope it was going to be an actual shrimp. 
That'd be <laughs> right. There it is. There it. It was anaphylaxis after all. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, and that's when uh, physician's assistant Pendentic comes in and says, "Actually, that's a prawn." <laughs> I thought it was fun. Nice, nice. Yep. Anyway, a hundred point four. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this ends up being the epiglottis, which I will point out, like they said, was like pushed all the way over to the right. Oh wow. Um, yeah. So. They are able to pass the tube, it's checked, and it's confirmed, and that's when Dr. Grapefruit arrives. And so, he arrives, Dr. Bacon informs them that their services are no longer needed. Dr. Grapefruit says, sweet, uh, oh, you better secure that tube before you lose it. And then they head off with that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but uh, that adds a Always whole leaves new level. a weird aftertaste, doesn't Dr. Grapefruit? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but by the way, this adds a whole new level of fun to this call because now there is swelling that is occurring all over the patient. In fact, the IV that EMS got is now actually being pushed out by the immediate, no like the swelling, way. the global swelling that's being described. The patient's so is this chest, swelling like a, arms. Is it like a fluid overload thing where we're seeing like, uh, like pitting edema or is this like, is, is it kind of that same like hard red angry swelling of the face hat? Mm, that's a great question. I don't know. I'm assuming it's going to be the same hard swelling, but okay. I, you know, I don't know. Um, but here's what happens. The call gets more intense, but I'll be brief because we are essentially kind of uh, coming to a wrap here. A, right. a flight crew ended up being contacted by the uh, in the truck by Raisin Oatmeal. So they arrive. Um, it seems like that's sort of a thing that happens in the system. Okay. Uh, the, the patient was put on a Versed drip, but their blood pressure quickly plummeted um, right out, essentially like very quickly after that was started. So they stopped it, but then everyone, you know, then the IV was lost. And so everyone scrambled to find an IV site. Uh, IO was ruled out because the swelling just was pushing kind of everything out and right. uh, away. Uh, so they're like, yeah, I don't think we could even get an IO in this patient. Um, but here's the good news. Someone eventually got access and they started dumping fluids in the patient and got their BP up from the low 70 back up into the 90s. Okay. Um, and by the way, the swelling was so significant that uh, prior to the flight crew transferring this patient out to a higher level care hospital, the ET tube on the chest had moved up two centimeters from that oh, yeah. initial image where it was secured. And I can tell you exactly, so, exactly how that happened, because um, I've, I've seen this happen in trauma patients with severe facial trauma where you get a lot of swelling occurs is the way the commercial devices work. Uh, that secures the tube that, you know, Dr. Grapefruit so kindly told everyone to put on, um, which I mean, Dr. Grapefruit was right. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, the <laughs> way it works. Him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for those that aren't familiar, maybe it's not in your scope of practice or it's just something that you don't do. Um, the way it works is it's a bite block that goes in that has a passage in it for the ET tube to come out of. And then you have this deal that you turn and it's just a little corkscrew deal that then clamps the uh, tube to the commercial device, and then that clamps to the head. So as you start to swell, because this bite block rests on the patient's lips, it will actually push on that thing that is also clamped to the tube. And it can very, very well start pushing the tube out a little bit. You should still put one on, don't get me wrong, because like your chances of losing a tube without one are substantially greater. Don't, you know, 
yeah yeah you have to put one on there still um but this can happen yeah anyway sorry yeah. brief tangent i no. just i'm like oh i've seen this you know and so i was excited to talk oh, about it dude I, no but absolutely and it's a really good point to like consider in patients where you have significant swelling to the face and you're you who have been intubated and you're securing them with the device it's like yeah you know keep checking that tube and you know making sure that those those marks haven't moved so um yeah, yeah. anyway uh well, I guess it, hold on. The marks wouldn't make sense because it would still move. Like everything's moving, not just like the tube itself. The, yeah. The, so the marks wouldn't change. Yeah. This is why capnography is amazing. So right. stay with capnography. Yeah. <laughs> cap, cap, right. cap. So, yeah. Anyway, the patient ended up getting transported by air. And by the way, they ultimately did live through this, though they did have a very long stay in the hospital. Good. I don't know what else uh, like what other things happened except that they lived and left and I have a diagnosis. So Chris, what's going on with this patient? Uh, I'll, I still don't know. I mean, I, it's, <laughs> there's so much. I was kind of wondering at the end when the full body swelling started happening, if for some reason in whatever weird funky disease process is going on in this patient, it almost sounded like a rapid third spacing of fluid, uh, which uh, to kind of break that yeah. down, uh, you know, you have fluid should be uh, in your cells, in your blood vessels, uh, or there's a certain amount of fluid that actually is uh, in between the cells. Uh, we call it extracellular fluid. And when fluid shifts out of your cells, we call it third spacing and it can cause skin to rapidly puff up and then it causes like a pitting edema. And so you can push your finger into it and then you, when you pull your finger back, it's the dent stays. And then, and sometimes like I've had patients where the edema has been so bad that you push and you, and you actually just watch fluid come out of their skin. And that's what yeah. we call that weeping edema. And so um, I was kind of wondering like, oh, like this kind of rapid swelling almost sounds like that. And then with the patient's blood pressure dropping, I, I'm really yeah. curious if, if it wasn't some kind of third spacing going on, but I mean, I'm just going to be blunt with you, man. I have no idea what would cause swelling uh, like this. So let me kind of sum up the call uh, and bring okay. you to my point of confusion. So uh, <laughs> EMS uh, gets dispatched uh, mid forties, female 44. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 44, 45. Okay, gotcha. With uh, facial swelling, uh, shortness of breath, EMS gets there to find a female with left-sided jaw swelling and difficulty breathing. We then learn that this has actually been going on for about a week, but today it suddenly got worse, like over the last hour, and it's making the breathing difficult. Uh, she's also on a non-rebreather at this point with 98% saturations and still with increased respiratory effort. The patient seems to be swelling uh, like right in front of their eyes, like she's blowing up right then and there. Um Avocado thinks they hear some strider, which is a very concerning sign of like some upper airway uh, is, uh, you know, up, yeah. that's, that's upper airway constriction is what what that comes from. Uh, they decide, hey, uh, I don't want to deal with this patient. <laughs> I mean, not 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 flippant like that, but they're like but yeah, in a good way, yeah. in the right way. Like, hey, I don't want this patient. Yeah, but you know, exactly. Like, not because. Yeah, not because like fuck this yeah. person. But but they do realize like, hey, we have a rapidly closing window to get an airway in this patient. So if we don't get it here, then we need to get to the ED quickly. And so they do. They move yeah. the patient to the rig. Uh, fucking Cheerios nails an IV. 
which thank goodness, because that was going to be the only one for a bit. And they head off to yeah. the ED, takes them like less than five minutes to get there. They use their lights and sirens. Uh, they come into a very well-prepared ED. Uh, the doctor kind of struggles, but does end up getting the patient uh, intubated because there's, you know, a Picasso airway, as you described it. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Grapefruit comes down and says, nice, and then leaves. And uh, things only get kind of weirder from there. So, and the yeah. patient lives. Yeah. So, Chris, you're not sure what this is, but have you had like patients like this where where like this sort of dynamic where the, the airway is the issue? Um, so I'll, I'll tell you this. I yes and no. So I've never had anything, you know, like you said, I've never had anything like patient present like this before. This is crazy to me. Um, I've had patients who like I've done like uh I've done like transfers where a patient had angioedema before uh, in the flight job, but they've already been intubated. And but I have had uh, ones where I've been worried about the airway window before, uh, and that was a, a house fire. We had an inhalation injury patient; they had a raspy voice and all that stuff. And so I'm like, you know what? Uh, this patient's going to be an easy tube. We got a 15 minute ride to the hospital. Let's let's do this here. And so we just tell the guy like, hey, you know, you're going to go to sleep. We're going to put a tube in because I'm worried you've burned your airway. And he had a raspy voice and a sore throat. And so um, yeah, followed up later on that guy. His airway ended up not being a big issue. But that that's the thing about these airway window calls is you don't get to wait and find out. You know what I mean? Like you kind of have to make that decision based on potential. Yeah. Uh, because if you wait and find out if the airway is an issue, then you missed your airway window. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. So. Truth. So, yeah, I, I have had I have had that. I, I have been on that border where I'm like, do I tube here or do we just go? Yeah. No, I've definitely done like the angioedema transfers where where they haven't been intubated, but they're like, hey, I think we stabilized this, but like, ooh, God, it, like it could be worse. Yeah. And so, you know, we've done those kind of transfers. I, But I haven't, to my knowledge or, you know, my recollection, I haven't encountered this where I'm like, oh, my God, I have a window closing like right now. Yeah. Where I need to really do this or at least this quickly. I do. I do want to spend it's like, why don't let's really quickly. Let's kind of talk about some of the finer points. I know we have some major stuff to talk about. Like, I, I imagine we're going to talk about airway management and making that decision. Right. Um, you said you had the diagnosis. So I imagine we're going to talk about the diagnosis. In, but just oh, a yeah. couple things that I really want to, like, commend the crew on. Um, good job notifying the ED that something serious was coming in. We'll talk I, like I'm going to talk about more about that when we talk about, you know, innovating later on. Uh, I really like the pick line consideration. I like uh, avocado bread thinking about, hey, do we have pick line access, especially when you see somebody who is uh, a cancer patient and has difficult access just by looking at them? You see the vasculature is poor. Um, that is the kind of person you should be thinking like, you know what? They probably have a pick line. So I was super impressed uh, on that one uh one other thing i noticed that when they went into the ed they marked uh landmarks for the cricothyrotomy yeah quick comment on that it's not a bad idea but i i would be hesitant uh because the problem is when someone's rapidly swelling this much and you draw a line on skin that skin's gonna move uh, mm. you know, uh, especially when we kind of have this weird thing where it's not necessarily, uh, bilateral, it's kind of unilateral swelling. And I think eventually it probably became bilateral swelling. And so what I would worry about is that you would make marks and then rely on them too heavily. And what you should be doing is before you place that crike, whether you marked it or not, you need to make sure that those marks are still good. And so my question then would be is that if you have to repalpate for them anyway, because that would be the prudent thing to do, why mark it in the first place? Ooh, I, uh, my thought there would be, you have an idea of where to start, you know? Yeah, like, it's you know, very like, true. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. or it might, or it might <laughs> tell you just how much she's swollen because now this mark's nowhere near where it was. You're like, whoa, yeah, <laughs> it's like a huh. rowboat, a rowboat untethered, just yeah. floating out in a lake. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, so so I, I guess some cautions when it comes to marking, especially on someone who's going to be swelling that much. Um, yeah, other than that, the other thing I would talk about, and we'll bring this up again, I guess, when we talk about intubation, uh, they had the patient at 100% SAO2, but I noticed that they had patient on an NRB at 100%, and the NRB was set to 10 liters per minute. Um, 100% is great, but if you know you're going to be intubating somebody, just crank that thing up to flush. Uh, and the reason being is because what we want to do is we want to denitrogenate those lungs. We've talked about this before uh, on the podcast, and that is uh, people can actually ap- apneic oxygenation is a thing. And basically what it is, is that, you know, your typical air mix in your lungs is going to be, uh, you know, 79 percent nitrogen, 21 percent O2. And so if if they're 100 percent, let's say they're getting 100 percent sats and that and that's that's the air mix in the lungs. Well, if they stop breathing, the saturations are going to drop pretty quickly because the air mix in the lungs is only 21%. If we can get the air mix in the lungs to be uh, 100% or, you know, like 90% or greater, um, even if the patient isn't able to take full breaths or we're not able to get them full breaths, as blood passes through, it's still going to have more and more oxygen to pick up. So oxygen saturation is only telling you how much of the oxygen that's in the lungs has made it to the blood. Uh, you have no way of really truly measuring uh, the air mix uh, in the lungs. So just assume it's bad and uh, or not bad, but just assume it's normal and just go ahead and crank that the flush uh, to really help that pre-oxygenation and denitrogenation step. So uh, with that, man, let's let's dig into uh, this diagnosis because I have to know. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, this patient was diagnosed with a pretty serious condition called uh, Ludwig's angi- angina. Okay. I always call them, I always want to say angina, but it's angina. Yeah, uh, so do I. The first question on my mind, by the way, when I read this diagnosis, like, okay, what the fuck does this have to do with the heart? Because I read an- angina and yeah. I'm like, yeah, heart, the, yeah. the heart thing. Uh, yeah. So it turns out nothing. I mean, aside from like this condition quickly being able to stop your heart, uh, <laughs> like it has, and otherwise it's unrelated. So here's a little interesting tidbit. So why is it called angina then? Uh, if it has really no correlation to like the heart? Well, at, at some point in the mid 16th century, angina meant to strangle, oh. uh, which actually makes a ton of sense sure when does. you think about it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you had the strangling of a coronary artery preventing, uh, you know, preventing blood passing and causing chest pain. And now here you have the literal just strangling of a patient's airway strangling of a patient's airway yeah. uh from inside the house yeah <laughs> the call yeah. came from inside yeah. oh, no. uh, so i guess before we really jump into the call to review it i i, I really want to touch on ludwig's angina and you know talk about like what we as ems providers will see and what we should do if we encounter something like this in the field for ourselves and then you know once armed with that let's kind of review some of the things that uh that happened in this call and see if you know like there were things that could have been done better that should have been done differently or things that went really really well you know despite not knowing what this was so ludwig's angina was discovered by a doctor back in the 18s <laughs> that's wow. all the kids do yeah 19s yeah. Uh, yeah. So now in the 18s, uh, I can do it too. Uh, 1836, by the way, for those who really want to know. Uh, but this is a thing that's been documented. September throughout. 1836, actually, Spencer. This is a cold September, though. Yeah. <laughs> More like an October, really. Uh, exactly. Anyway, so 
but here's the thing, like, well, there, you know, this doctor put their name on it. This is a thing that has been documented throughout history. Um, So essentially what this is, it's a severe form of cellulitis that happens in the submandibular space of the mouth and then can rapidly spread to other parts of the mouth uh, via like, for instance, the sublingual space Um, or like in the, you know, Retroparietal areas, uh, yeah, it, it it goes places uh, because retroparietal is the back of the head, correct? Uh, uh, oh god, uh, retropharyngeal maybe is. The oh, retropharyngeal. Okay, that would be yeah. That's yeah. that's the back of the throat then. Okay. Yeah. Um. And exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh. Nope. I was wrong there. Good catch. Uh. Yeah. And and so this spreads out to other tissue planes and. This is the thing. It causes significant swelling and the swelling that takes place can like displace the tongue, typically kind of pushing it up and back um, from Medscape, uh, which explains that the thick tongue that our patient had. So not only can the tongue be pushed posteriorly to kind of block the airway, but then these tissues around the like, you know, around the trachea, for instance, also can then swell shut, making it really, really hard to breathe. So, um, but as this infection spreads out, there's swelling that goes with it. And this infection, like we said, essentially can encircle your airway, which is bad. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. So thankfully, though, this is a very, very rare condition. Um, there was one study that I looked at that looked at like nationwide you know, America, by the way, United States, uh, looked at nationwide ED diagnoses between 2006 and 2014 for this condition. And it counted 5,855 patients who were diagnosed uh, okay. in those years with this. So, again, exceedingly rare. So the question is, like, what causes this? You know, because there are a host of bacteria, but there are really only a few that that can get in here and do this. Um, and it's no surprise that usually that bacteria gets in there because of your teeth, um, a tooth infection, recent dental work. Those types of things account for like 70 to 90 percent of the cases. Um, Damn. Yeah, but, and then that that's sort of source dependent. Life in the fast lane said 70. Medscape article said 90 percent. So. Yeah, oh. but often you'll hear it's the second or third molar, which are the typical sub, you know, suspects. Uh, but there are other causes too, you know, like recent trauma, like a broken jaw, uh, a tongue piercing, or even some types of cancer. Uh, all of those things can open the door for a bacterial neighbor and be like, "Hey, you know what? Come on in. It's not my house, but fuck it. Like you guys all look like you know how to party. <laughs> fuck it, my mom's in the hospital. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do this. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's off to the races. Now. Interestingly enough, like according to Medscape, more often than not, this condition affects patients who are of normal health. But in cases where like patients are immunocompromised or they have conditions that make healing difficult, like they're diabetic or they have HIV or AIDS um, or, you know, for instance, if they are undergoing cancer treatments, which uh, make them, you know, which limit their immune response. uh, These people are at a higher risk for this condition and from my reading, like at a higher risk for some really interesting bacteria uh, to come in and uh, and be the cause. Now, I, I will openly admit no expert on bacteria, but commonly like it's strep or like a gaseous anaerobe tend to be the typical players. Um, other bacteria, it turns out they sort of like when they get into areas, they can kind of like form like uh, like they congeal a little bit and they don't spread. They just kind of stay in that one area. Okay. Uh, but 
the, the bacteria that come in here, these guys, they're like, oh man, we're, this is our home. And they spread out rapidly. Gotcha. Um, they get comfortable quick. So, exactly. Um, so, uh, prior to antibiotics, uh, the advent of antibiotics, the death rate for this condition was like well over 50%. Mm. Um, Medscape says yeah, it's about an 8% fatality currently, but the study that I referenced for the number of patients, they had an overall mortality rate of like 0.3%. So it's getting better. Yeah, probably. No, that's good. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. But the main problem is, and really this is the big thing, it's really, really rare. And so it's not often encountered. And this shit can go really, really quickly as evidenced here. Um, so let's talk about the signs and those symptoms, and then we'll kind of go into the main treatments. The main treatments, by the way, are airway management, followed by airway management, followed by like antibiotics and then the other things. And then airway so, management. Okay. Yeah. So uh, signs and symptoms, usually what we're looking for here are you're usually there's like mouth pain, there's like trismus where the patient can't open their mouth because of the swelling. They have uh, life in the fast lane calls this a hot potato voice, which I, it just sounds like I think it's like a muffled voice. It's essentially what I get uh, if they're they might have the inability to swallow saliva or there might be strider, which, again, those are suggestive of immediate airway compromise. And that needs to be managed. Uh, they might have fever, tachycardia, or they might be progressing into septic shock. This is what we saw evidenced here with this patient. Uh, they might have a bull neck appearance. So their neck might their, that jaw, that lower jaw, that submandibular space might like bowl down into their like into their neck and make them have, you know, seem like they have a really sturdy, large neck. Um, they might be in respiratory distress in that tripod position. Their tongue might be displaced. It might look like it's sitting too high. It might protrude out or it might be like way far back and they're unable to protrude their tongue. Uh, tenderness. And here's the interesting one. This is going to be like when you touch this area, it's not going to be soft. It should feel like often described as like a woody feel to it. Like when you touch it, it's firm. It's hard. Oh, wow. Uh, you might feel crepitous because the some of the uh, bacteria, they let off, they off gas. Um, and so you'll feel gas bubbles beneath the skin, giving it that crepitous feel. Kind of like a um, sub-Q emphysema that, that you it, see in it, like a... It, uh, exactly. Pneum pneumothorax patients. Exactly. So those are a lot of the things that you're going to be looking for. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, basically, for the love of God, the main treatments are like, hey, keep the airway open because that's what kills these patients first. Right. Is they're going to die from asphyxiation because that tissue is going to swell. Um, so if there is any respiratory compromise, everything I've read basically says like, you should probably innovate now um, and be safe, but also like be ready to perform a crike. Um, again, that strider patient with the inability to swallow saliva are sort of ominous signs and suggestive of immediate intubation from the things that I have read. Um, but, you know, here's the thing. As Medscape points out, like most people don't actually end up needing intubation. Uh, life in the fast lane also seems to suggest like in most cases, airway management could probably be conservative. But everybody basically like, yeah, if you're going to be conservative, like have it all set up, ready to go like next to the patient uh, 
a lot like your intubation stuff. And then next to your intubation stuff should absolutely be the crank stuff, because this is a patient that if you think you're going to intubate, you should probably also be very ready to crank. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and the other part of this is like we're going to they're going to start a ton of antibiotics. They're going to figure out what exact you know organism is causing this. They're probably going to do some draining and uh like surgical uh, to try and uh, like cuts to get that swelling out um, with the pus and all that good stuff. Um, and hopefully that will also help reduce that swelling, uh, so, taking away that like airway compromise. Speaking of, you know, kind of speaking, you know, we're talking about swelling and, you know, earlier we had mentioned there was some strider, which is some upper airway swelling. Like, what are your thoughts on like, treatments that we carry on the ambulance because you, you don't see a lot of antibiotics on the ambulances. Um, it's not that they're not yeah. there. There are some municipalities that, you know, especially hospital-based municipalities that may carry them. Um, but you know, what about things like epinephrine or steroids? I, you know, that's a really good question. Um, I, so, but, you know, here's what Here's what like Medscape article and Life in the Fast Lane all suggest. Like, yeah, you follow your local protocols, but essentially what what I'm getting is like intubation will definitely work. Right. These other things may help. So if and you're by at the other part things where you, you mean by other things you mean epi and steroids, or you mean yeah, epi yeah. epi and steroids. Okay. Like, hey, go with the thing that will definitely get you an airway, so that you're not like trying to emergently crike sure. while the patient's you know asphyxiating. Um, but you know like. I don't know. They yeah. might work. Those might help, mm -hmm. but the intubation definitely gets you the definitive airway. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So again, but always defer to local protocols, epinephrine and those medications. Like, I don't know, maybe that would be a misstep. Like maybe that would have been something they could have done on the way here. Well, we'll go into that a little more, but I do want to tell you, I do know this, Chris, do you want to know how this ended up happening? How they got, how they got the bacteria infection? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I have that information. If you do, yeah, okay, let's hear it. Yeah, so I'm still hoping it's a week, dental thing. One week and one day prior to this event, the patient was sitting down with a bowl of Cap'n Crunch. You mean broken glass? Uh, I mean exactly. And they <laughs> took one bite of a Crunch Berry, and unfortunately, it made just a little incision into the bottom of their th into the bottom of their gum. I, I mean, it, really, it it like makes little incisions into your entire mouth, right? But this particular one, this was the one, and some of the bacteria that already existed in the patient's mouth, uh, the local flora and fauna that normally is fine, it went in. Basically, this is Captain Crunch's fault. He tried <laughs> to kill this patient. This is a slow poison pill. And uh, that's why Captain Crunch is the worst fucking cereal that ever existed. Here's it's what makes terrible. It, here's what makes it worse, though. It tastes good. That like I like maybe you disagree I, and I feel you disagree, but I feel that's the deviousness and the evil in it is that I actually feel it tastes good. And so I will eat it and then cry and then take another bite and then keep crying because my mouth is bleeding. But um, <laughs> anyway, and I think I think that is it, it's you know, I mean, it's 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 like heroin. Like you feel great when you take heroin. Not that I've ever taken heroin, but um, really, I have. Yeah, sure. Um, but <laughs> I did Dead honest, don't do that. Um, uh, which also sounds like I've taken it. I, God, I'm not helping. Yeah, like, no, like there's, the no is, yeah. there's no win. There's no win. Just sounding more and more guilty. Uh, but anyway, but that's the thing, like, right? But it kills you at the same time. So all I'm trying to say is that Captain Crunch is heroin. 
uh, cinnamon toast crunch is heroin because that's one where I wake up like three bowls later. My, I don't know where my pants are. There's a belt and a spoon nearby. <laughs> I, well, I know where my eating? pants are. I, I I had to take them off because I kept going back for more bowls of cinnamon toast crunch until I, or, it, it, then I eventually I passed out with a spoon next to me. Why does that's, the frequency of which you get cereal affect whether or not you wear pants? Have, dude, have you not eaten enough to where you're like, you know what? These pants need to unbutton. Yeah, but I mean, like, I don't take them off. Oof. Hey, what I, I do I, in I, the privacy I, of my own home. I've been living my eating, life wrong. I've been living my life. <laughs> what I do in time. the privacy of my own home when I'm eating Cinnamon Toast Crunch is no one's business. That's fair. That's All fair. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yeah. By the way, don't actually know that they... Uh, the patient had cinnamon toast or crunch berries, Captain Crunch lie. with crunch berries, but uh, seems possible. And fuck Captain Crunch. That's uh, that's my stance. Yes. So let's now go into the call and review it uh, from the top. And with this information, knowing what we know now and see right. if there's some way that this could have gone better or could have gone worse. Well, let's start a little bit with the pregame, because I think the pregame, um, especially when we start talking about how avocado bread was really, you know, all, all about that possible allergic reaction, even if it didn't end up being an allergic reaction, it does put you in the mindset of airway management, because we all know that when anaphylaxis gets bad, it's the airway that we're worried about. Um, yeah. So I think that that was kind of a good pregame. Uh, did they get was it more of a silent pregame or were they talking with each other? You know, I think it was more of a silent pregame because this is a very okay. close response. So I don't know that there was much to be going on uh, like yeah. conversation wise. There may have been like, hey, what do you think this might be? Mm -hmm. You know, but yeah. Boom. And and then uh, so they get on scene and then the assessment. Yes. Yeah, so let's kind of talk about that. That assessment and kind of when you get in, kind of, you know, how that goes. Um, I appreciate that they had such a quick uh, scene time and they they went right for that airway and they started with their A's. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like that. That was good. Um I think one of the things that muddled is that the patient actually denied pain. And I think that kind of threw things for a loop in terms of like what could be causing this. Um, but it also kind of boils one, you know, down to those things where it's like, I think as much as we want to get more detail about what's causing this in yeah. calls like this, that needs to be kind of put on the back burner. And it, it's hard because you, you want to, you kind of have to fight that instinct to, I want to know more to being like, hey, like once we've established this is a rapid onset of swelling that's encroaching on the airway, and it sounds like they did, then yeah. you got to put your efforts towards that and then figure out the rest. Because what you don't want to be is like, hey, I know exactly what killed her. Uh, it's our inaction because she had this process <laughs> going on. So that's, uh, you know, like, you, you don't uh, you don't want to do that. Um, yeah. are, is there additional assessments that they could have done? Did they ever get a blood pressure on scene? No, they didn't do a blood pressure on scene. They they essentially went like, oh, God, this is like what we're seeing is bad. Yeah. Uh, and it's not a, and it doesn't seem to be like an allergic reaction. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, I, I'm not a hundred percent against that. I think the fact that they eventually did get one was fine. And I look at it this way because, I mean, I think blood pressure is going to be kind of a key component to like, okay, do we have anaphylaxis going on here or not? And this patient's blood pressure ultimately did end up being a problem, though not in the time that they were in the care of the pre-hospital providers. Um, yeah. I think, you know, like in this case, I know there might be some people who's like, no, you need a baseline set of vitals. Um I think in this case, I'm okay with, uh, you know, they looked at other signs of perfusion that were definitely present, you know, heart rate, skin color, those kind of things. 
and they kind of determined that they wanted to go. I mean, is it a perfect NREMT done by the book call without a blood pressure on scene? No, but um, I don't feel, you know, I feel they did determine that the patient was being perfused. uh, Here's. Oh, to a here's level. where I would hold them. Here's where I'd hold them accountable for the blood pressure would be like if you were on scene for 10 minutes and you hadn't had a blood pressure with this patient one, you'd be on scene way too long. Yeah. Uh, but two, then it's like, hey, you've been on scene for a while. Like, couldn't somebody have right. gotten this? But given that they basically popped in and popped out within five minutes and then yeah. they had that blood pressure prior to leaving the scene in the ambulance with no real signs of like poor perfusion beyond like they, they saw an airway heard some you know terrible sounds yeah. and saw you know the patient and then went like ah let's get her out to the rig that 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 to me seems fine i, and, I wouldn't yeah and you, you you bring up a really solid point there and and the point is is like i, I think a lot of people we draw these arbitrary lines about when things should be done right and really what yeah. it kind of matters is you want to get that good uh, perfusion picture early on you know as early as you can get it it doesn't really matter where the patient is right and so in this yeah. case you know they're getting it you know probably just just after five minutes of being there it's just now they have the patient in the ambulance as opposed to the patient sitting on the couch. And so you can say yeah. they didn't get a blood pressure on scene. But the real question you're asking is, did they get a blood pressure in a timely fashion? And the answer to that is yes. I feel it's yeah. yes. So I'm yeah. not I'm not too worried about that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, well, we, uh, you know, people are like, well, a strong radial means at least a blood pressure of 80, which th- that's been disproven. But yeah. I think it does say something when you feel the pulse and you're like, this is a strong, regular, like radial pulse. Like it that does. does say that they likely have great perfusion the best um, oh go on this is the hard part about recording separately is we can't look at facial hues to see when someone's going to talk but um <laughs> for sure yeah. yeah the best way i've heard it described when it comes to the radial pulse thing is that what what if you can palp a radial pulse what it means is that the heart is able to push blood out to that extremity that's yeah. it and the problem is, is because humans are so different from each other. If you have someone with very little vascular resistance, uh, slender, skinny, you can palpate radial pulses to really low levels. But if you have someone who has a history of like, you know, coronary artery disease or, uh, you know, atherosclerosis, those kind of things, they have more vascular resistance and it's going to take more pressure to push that same amount of blood farther. And it's not a little off in each person. It's substantially different from patient to patient. So you cannot. Yeah. So the whole like, oh, they've got a blood pressure of this. Uh, you can't do that. But you absolutely can use it as a sign of perfusion. I feel like you can definitely be like, hey, you know what? We are getting blood out to an extremity because one of the things yeah. the body will do, you know, when it starts running low on volume or when it tries to maintain a blood pressure, the first thing it's going to do is it's going to start the peripheral vasoconstriction. Your body's geared to do that. And that's when you start seeing things like radial and pedal pulses go away. So a radial pulse is still a very valuable tool in determining perfusion. Just don't put a number on it because you can't. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a perfect statement. Yeah. Um, I, So in terms of like more assessment, I like, I guess like, Oh, uh, hey, if like open the patients, uh, have the patient open their mouth, observe the like, l- you know, the the floor of the mouth and look for the, the it's described as like that cellulitis red, yeah. you know, it's just like firm, hard, discolored, ugly kind of red color. Um, They could have done that. But I think the thing is, and this is the this this is the piece for me. I, no one is going to remember Ludwig's angina, like no. except for except for the people who now run this call because of this <laughs> call that we're yeah. presenting. Like you guys exactly. will remember this forever, but the rest of us, this is going to trickle out of our brain. And so, like you know, like if there's if if knowing 
like, hey, I need to look for at the sub of the floor uh, in EMS anyway, knowing that, oh, I should look at the sub of the floor and see if like that's going to have that cellulitis look to go with this like firm woody swelling that's going on. Like if that helps you remember, like airways might be an issue with this patient. Like that's awesome. But I think the thing is like this crew didn't know that they didn't know, uh, like no one went like, Ooh, this is Ludwig's event angina or yeah. angina. And like, we need to go. No, they went like, ah, Ooh, I don't know what the hell's going on. Maybe in an infection. And it looks like it's making her airway shitty. We should yeah, go. And exactly. that I think is like, that is the biggest takeaway here is that this crew recognized this despite not knowing that this condition existed yeah. and, and like ran to the hospital with the patient and was like, Oh fuck. Thank God we did. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, it's making me laugh and smile a little too much. What, the fact that you keep that? Des- the fact that you keep describing the swelling as Woody, and you keep saying things like firm Woody, yeah, hard oh, Woody, yeah. <laughs> hard. Yeah. Well, you know that's uh, blame Medscape, right? <laughs> that's, there you go. Like I'm like, what the fuck is Woody? What do you mean Woody? And they're like, it's just very firm. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, just say that. Like, why do? You, why, why Woody? Yeah. But they said it, and now I'm saying it. Of course you are. This episode's brought to you by Medscape. There you go. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not. Nope. They, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's some doctor out there like, hold on. What? No. Yeah. Um, but let's go into. So I guess you brought up a really interesting point earlier, which is like, could they have done more in route? Um, like, is there an argument like, hey, maybe you guys should have like considered a dose of epi, um, maybe steroids. And I, you know, I. I think there that might have been something to try. It sounds like from avocado breads, uh, now toast, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, experience right. that the patient, as long as they were coaching the patient, the breathing seemed to be fine and it didn't seem to be getting progressively worse. They didn't appreciate the strider or that grunting noises as long as they were able to coach the breathing. Yeah. But playing the what if game, let's say the patient did seem to start to like deteriorate. Maybe that's one of those where, and hopefully they had like their intubation stuff set out, you know, and ready to go on this call. But maybe that would be one where trying some epi prior to the intubation might be called for. But this also, and and I could totally see people doing that. I don't know that that would work in this situation. Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. uh, But I do know intubation would. Um, Yeah. So I think, if the patient had gotten worse, the safest thing to do from everything I've read would be intubate. But I, I, you know, I, I also could see myself maybe thinking about like a dose of epi and seeing if that would help. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Where are you at with that? Like, what would your thoughts be? Um, boy, th- this is so here. Here's one thing is, is I, I'm going to put this I, I'm put out there like this. I'm going to make arguments for both and then tell which one that I would pick based on subjective past experience, which may not be the right answer. I'm going to call that out. Um, yeah. I want our listeners to really chime in on this. I want to hear what you guys would do or what you think should have been done, even if innovation isn't in your scope. Uh, that would actually be almost fun is to have some fresh pair of eyes that aren't tainted by past terrible experiences of trying to do innovations on terrible patients. Um, but yeah, <laughs> just tell us what you think should have been done. So I'm going to kind of lay out the two arguments I see. So basically what we're looking at is two options. Uh, so we, so by this, by this point, we've recognized that this airway is not going to be here long. There's no disagreement that our, that the window to get an airway is small. 
Okay. Yes. So you have two options. One is get them to a hospital quick. And oh, and the other the other thing there's no disagreement over, this is going to be a difficult tube. The patient would probably be, it sounds like the patient would be a difficult tube without the swelling. And now we add the swelling. So you mm-hmm. have two options. One is get them to somebody else uh, into an environment where there's a physician, there's a more of a team. It's an ER, not someone's house or the back of a cramped ambulance or intubate them now because we don't think they'll make it to the ER without, you know, potentially needing a crike. And with this patient, gosh, for neck swells up, even the crike is going to be hard to get. So, you know, you're really out of a lot of options. So why would you do one versus, you know, the other? And I think it's going to come down to a judgment call for me because of how rapidly this seems to be going on. And I have some just some past uh, experiences that actually aren't my own. Like I mentioned earlier, um, the one person where I had my well, I think I've had a few calls, but my airway window calls have been like, I think it's going to swell. And then I've done it. But that's the hard point here is when it comes to these calls where you have the airway window, you don't know how big the window is until it's closed. And so the concept of waiting to see if it, you know, okay, well, if they start to get more severe, then I'll intubate kind of sets you up to fail. And it kind of Mm. sets things up to go poorly because if they're going to get worse, why are they getting worse? Because your airway is getting smaller. That's why. And so basically what you're saying is I'm going to wait to intubate until it's harder to do so. And so for me, I would have probably been like, hey, guys, let's get out to the rig or if the or if the house, you know, whichever environment is going to be best. I'd be like, let's get out to the rig. Let's pre-oxygenate. Let's get her innovated here. That would be uh, my that that would be the direction I would go, you know, being ready to crike, because I even think your crike window is going to be shrinking on this patient with the amount of swelling that we're seeing. Um, so there's that. But that answer may not be the right answer. And here's the argument to go the other direction. And that is. It is harder to crike in or well, yes, harder to crike, but it's also harder to intubate in the field. Those are two things yeah. that are, are more difficult to do. And so what you may end up with is you may end up with the delay because the delay to intubate this patient is only beneficial if you're successful. Yeah. So if you delay to intubate this patient and are then unsuccessful, then the patient is now worse off than had you gone. And that th- this is this is like that paramedic decision that makes our job so hard and yeah. makes us love us uh, because we have to make this decision because, <laughs> yeah, because we're at this line all the time. And so it's like, all right, do we stay in play or do we go? I'm saying stay in play. But you know what? There's a good argument to say, you know what? We should just go. This is going to be uh, a very difficult tube to make. And the hospital is really, really close. So I would say if I was not PIC in this call and the PIC said this is what we're going to do, I'd be 100 percent on board and I would support that. Because there's a way to do that appropriately. I think what you essentially do at this point is you're like, okay, we know we need to pre-oxygenate our intubation patients, right? Yep. We definitely know that. We can do that on the way to the ER. We can start the pre-oxygenation process. We can provide a little positive pressure if it's needed. Um, And then the way you do is you tell your ER, and it sounds like they did some level of this, especially if they're calling a freaking helicopter on the way in. Um, Yeah. But... You prep your ER and you call them and you say, hey, uh, we're coming in. We are less than five minutes out. Lights and sirens. Uh, we have a patient that's going to need uh, intubation and airway management uh, due to severe you know, facial and uh, airway swelling. Uh, we're going to start pre-oxygenating the patient. You know, we're going to see in five. And basically, they know what's going on. It's like, all right, cool. And that gives them time to be like, all right, let's get ready to intubate. Let's get Dr. Grapefruit uh, down here, which isn't going to happen. You know, and let's just get this done. And so... 
That's how you do that. So if you're going to go that route, you basically need to make sure that if you go that route, you get into the ED. And the first thing that happens is we start working on that innovation. Now, here's a factor that's outside of your control that can make this option be the worst one. And that is that not every ED is going to rockstar this. So if you get into an emergency room that in spite of your best efforts and Spence, you and I have been there. We've called oh, in yeah. reports on critical patients and you get there and you're like, where the is everybody? And that happens quite a bit. Unfortunately, it just it does, especially now that we have, you know, these nursing shortages and these ERs that uh, are overfilled. You have less personnel and it's totally plausible. You get in there. And they're like, well, hang on, let me get a full report from you. Let me figure out what this yeah. is. And then they become just as nervous about innovating this patient as you are. You show up and they're like, triage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, but hey, there there may be. And one of the things you might see is you might see a physician that's just not comfortable with innovating and they will wait for that Dr. Grapefruit who's going to be a while, quote unquote. Yeah. You know, like th this could go bad because unfortunately, this whole strategy of loading and going relies 100% on a crew you have no control over and you could get mm. there and they could sandbag it. And that delay is going to be there now. So the same yeah. delay in your unsuccessful innovation, you've just moved it to a team that wasn't, you know, on mm. your level, you know? Yeah. So I would say it, it's really going to depend on the ER you're going to. Um, I'm going to say this, there's a couple of amazing highlights that I think are just stellar in this system. And that is that it seems like they have a great relationship with the ED because they stayed and they helped and they integrated into the team and had really solid teamwork. I thought that was solid. Yeah. That was awesome. Um, the doc was awesome. You know, they got to stay and do things. The ED was very trusting of what was coming in. They, they, they heard the radio report and they said, okay, they're coming in. Uh, they say they got this. We're and until we've proven otherwise, that's what we're going with. And that that's solid. That is the way to yeah. do this. And so I think there's a lot of commendable actions on both the part of the ER uh, and the EMS team in this. It's not a cut and dry decision to stay in play or go. They each have their their fallbacks. And so it is going to come down to some subjective judgment there. And so, yeah, I'm going to put that back out to the listeners. What would you do in this case? Where would you be? Um on this and let's uh, light up our social media. Yeah. I, I want to touch on a couple things that you said, cause I think you brought up some really good points. So to so. summarize, to summarize your points, it's like, Hey, this is a patient that we could immediately, like we could say like, Hey, we're going to stay and we're going to manage this airway because we don't know how, like, we don't know when the expiration date is on this jug of milk. Sure. Like, exactly. so we should drink it now. Yeah. Um, or <laughs> yeah. you go, Hey, I don't like, or, you know, like, and there's a couple of reasons you shouldn't in debate. If you don't think you will be successful, right. then this is probably one of those patients where, like, intubation becomes a questionable thing. I, I There's a doctor that uh, I liked uh, who was a medical director for our system for a brief period of time. And God damn it, he was too good for us. And <laughs> he has since moved on. Yeah. I hope they come back. But uh, he came up with a matrix of like, hey, when should you intubate a patient? And it was, hey, when it's clinically indicated and you think you can do it. Yeah. Um, Like, if you anticipate that you will be successful and it's needed, like, then by all means, do it. But like, don't, don't kill the patient knowing that you're not going to get it. Like, don't, don't just go through the motions. If you're like, there's no way in hell I'm going to get this. That would right. be one where you might move right to a crike. Um, but like, let's say 
for instance, so I guess that would be, you know, one of my counterpoints to throw in there as well. Like if you don't think you're going to get it, mm, that then maybe a crate is the better way to go versus like trying to innovate and then like fucking just making the swelling significantly worse by, right. you know, damaging tissue with a giant metal blade and a sharp <laughs> tube. Um, yeah. Pouring Captain Crunch down their throat. But I, you know, I didn't think about the aspect that you brought up, which was the hospital, not like if the hospital isn't going to like, if you're kicking that can down the road, hoping that the hospital will do it and they don't like, it might be nice for you to be like, mm, Hey, listen, I didn't think I was going to get it. We deferred to these guys and they fucked this football and like completely, you know, like dropped yeah, the ball. But that doesn't and serve the, the patient. I mean, it's an excuse it for you. But. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's it takes, you know, it takes that off of you. But like, that is an aspect that probably should be considered as well. Like, that's yeah. a good point. Uh, one I didn't think about. Um, here's what I'll say, because there's people who are like, there's people who listen to the show who are like, hold the fuck on, though. I'm an EMT. Like. Would a LMA be okay? Um, the answer for an LMA is like probably not. Uh, the right. LMA would not be an effective tool in this in this situation, mm-hmm. and so that kind of leaves you guys with like, so what the fuck do we do? And that is a good question. Uh, go fast, right. lights and sirens, oxygen, oxygen, all the oxygen. Yeah. Get the patient in a position of comfort, sitting upright, so that they are able to you know, exchange that gas as best they can mm-hmm. intercept flight. Yeah. You know, whatever, whatever, so, uh, well, whatever you can. I will add this when we're talking about, you know, so LMA is, that's a specific uh, form of SGA and LMA is a laryngeal mask airway. Oh. And oh, then, sorry. Yes. I, yeah. I meant SGA. I said LMA. Gotcha. So, uh, and SGA are, are superglottic airways, which basically just means they don't go in the trachea. There is one argument to make for this. If you do have a lot of lingual swelling, you got a lot of tongue swelling and tongue edema, uh, you can, uh, an, L, an LMA uh, will help with that to some extent until it starts to move more posterior. I mean, the way these things work, so the LMA, or the more common SGAs we're starting to see, for example, one's called the eye gel. And it's basically looks like a toilet bowl. And with the tube attached to it, it does. It looks like a toilet yeah, bowl with a tube does. attached to it. And you fit that thing down. And what it does is it's just a, it's a, think about how a BBM works over a patient's mouth uh, with the mask seal. This is just basically a mask seal that goes over the top of the trachea. It's essentially what it is. Uh, then you have other devices like the King Airway. And what the King Airway is going to do is it has two balloons. And it's designed, the whole tube is designed to be sh- actually shoved down the esophagus. And there's a small balloon that's uh, at the distal tip, the farthest away tip that's in the esophagus. And there's a big balloon. And when they blow up, the distal tip uh, basically blocks off the esophagus. So air can't go that way. And there's a big balloon that blows up that blocks off the rest of the mouth. And there's a hole in between the two. So when you bag... The air comes out the hole in between the two balloons and it should, in theory, only have one place to go. And that's going to be the trachea. So if you have someone with a lot of edema and swelling in their tongue, uh, the balloon's going to go right over that. Or in the case of the eye gel, you're going to have a tube uh, that essentially will allow air to go past the swelling tongue. But that's only going to be so long because you you will get, uh, as you said earlier, retropharyngeal swelling, uh, and that can easily displace, um, I would imagine, it would potentially be able to displace an IGEL, and it would completely subvert uh, the King Airway, because uh, the swelling is going to go, the swelling is going to occur in that in-between space that the King Airway blocks off. And so, it, yeah. it, you're right. So, while I wouldn't say, like, don't I, do... I mean... Yeah, yeah, don't like don't you know don't if the patient do goes it. into cardiac arrest and you're like, well, yeah. there's no point. 
like right. no, still still try and do the things uh, right. but recognize that those things may be more yeah. likely to be futile but yes um, so yeah, but yeah. I mean, like exactly but yeah as advice for a for a bls crew which is a scenario we're talking about now as a piece of advice for a bls crew where you're not able to induce this patient in any way there's no there's no ketamine there's no paralytics you can give um and this is kind of your only option yeah i mean essentially if they arrest i mean put it in but just yeah. be advised it's not going to fix yeah. them what I would say is go to the take this patient to the closest hospital in a position of comfort, sitting upright with yeah. all the oxygen on them, and that mm -hmm. that that's going to be your best move. Or right. you know, call for an ALS intercept. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, whichever whichever gets an airway person yeah. closer to you quicker. Yeah. Well, you may so, also be able to contact OMC and talk about things like you know, is is nebulized albuterol going to be helpful? Um, yeah, you know, like those kind of things. Uh, spoiler alert: oh, yeah, probably not. But um, yeah, oh, but that <laughs> might know. also be one too where you know. It, EMTs have epi and so this might be one where epi kind of the discussion about like epi uh comes back on the table and yeah. you go like hey I, I can give them this and the doc you know and I have a little strider and the doctor might go like uh yeah uh do it yeah, so grab that would five be a CCs great one. of your yeah I mean it's common in some practices to grab five cc's of your one to one thousand uh ratio epi and nebulize it and oh, we're yeah. talking about upper airway strider so you may get a doc doc to order hey you know you've got a nebulizer you've got the epi grab five cc's put it in there have her breathe it in yeah. And uh, that that could be something that actually could be beneficial to this patient. So, yeah, I would say add uh, one more piece of advice. Add OLMC into that. Perfect. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, so really the, the quick and dirty for me for this crew the, for overall is uh, they did a really good job identifying a patient who needed to go to a hospital quickly. And yeah. they prioritized moving them and got them there in time to not have the patient, you know, collapse essentially you know or you know try to die uh, in yeah. their ambulance and i applaud them for recognizing that and moving quickly that's that's really like the big piece I, you know there's the yeah. what ifs of like wait what if they'd been farther away mm -hmm. uh thank god that wasn't the case here because yeah. that would be you know those would be different circumstances so Absolutely. So, hey, guys, thanks again for listening. Uh, this was a fun episode. I love episodes like this. Please follow us on social media. We are EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook and at EMS 2020 show on Instagram. Get in there on this episode. Let us know what you guys would have done. Stay and play uh, or load and go when it comes to this airway patient. Let us know uh, if you want your call featured on this show. That's easy. Go ahead and send us an email to uh, EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. And we'll just throw in the heaps of other calls that we're going through right now. Um, I'm that's, that's made it sound like I was just going to discard it into the round file. That's not, that's not what we do. That's not what we do. We do eventually, it may take a while, but we do eventually get back to you guys. I, um, I, I want to remind people that we review one call a week and there are quite a few calls that come in and you know, I, I try and review them in order uh, on arrival. So, you know, I yeah. apologize for the people who are waiting, but we also do like, you know, we, when it comes to like the selection, like, you know, we do, like we don't want to do like two similar calls like right off the bat. And so a lot of times, you know, we do, we do have to like change up the mix a little bit to make sure we're oh, not yeah. doing like back to back, like tomorrow, like next week's call probably won't be on Ludwig's angina. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so that second I, Ludwig's angina call. Yeah. <laughs> tell you what, if there is a second Ludwig's angina call that comes in between now and next week, we're doing it just, just to be like, <laughs> Hey, there yeah. we go. Uh, anyway, but yeah, so, um, 
Yeah, again, so go ahead and uh, send your send your calls uh, to that email address. Uh, one final thing, of course, guardiancme.com. Head on over there, drop your email address. We will let you know when the free continuing education platform that is guardiancme.com is up and running. You'll be able to go there to get free continuing education credits just for listening uh, to this show. And uh, let's see, with that, Spence, take us out awkwardly. Hmm, let's see here. All right. So not named in this uh, episode, but uh, credit to uh, laboratory personnel checks uh, <laughs> with their <laughs> new assistant, Honey Nut Checks. Oh, it's, gotcha. The, the assistant will be better than the teacher. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's that. Uh, oh, God. Then we have uh, Dr. Raisenbran, who is the other ED doctor who mm. just kind of stood outside the room and just kind of like peered in every so often. But yeah. you know, they don't want to step on anyone's toes. Yeah. Uh, well, then you've got <laughs> the cinnamon. Oh, go on. <laughs> well, and then you've got, you know, you've got the um, you've got the. Yeah, then you've got the the medical chief that's been working there. But let's just face it. Dr. Lucky Charms is just there off of dumb luck. He's not that good at what he's doing. <laughs> I mean, heart starns rim. <laughs> Those are the last yeah. three medications he's prescribed to people. <laughs> Have you guys tried clovers and blue moons? <laughs> no, and oh, we don't man. know why you went with blue moons. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's the weirdest marshmallow uh, you've ever put out. Yeah. Uh, and let's not forget the, uh, you know, they, they hired the morale person, uh, you know, Tony T. Uh, frosted. <laughs> frosted <Tony> Flakes. <laughs> he's this in there just telling everyone. Great. Yeah, he's telling everyone, like, you're doing great. Yeah. You, <laughs> you beat me to it. You son of a bitch. And that's yeah. the awkward moment. Chris tells me, Chris gets the punchline out before I get a chance. <laughs> <laughs> 